Hey, Real Nerds listeners. There's many ways you can interact with the Real Nerds podcast. You can email us at realnerds at gmail.com. You can hit us on Twitter at Real Nerds. You want to check us on Facebook? You can. Just look for Real Nerds Podcast. You want to leave us a voicemail? Just call 720-6NERDS5. You want to listen to our episodes? You can check us out on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. I'm Andre Gower. And I'm Ryan Lambert. And you're listening to Real Nerds Podcast. This is Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official official podcast of Denver Pop Culture Con 2021 and beyond, which is happening in May. I'm Ryan, and hopefully this is our last Zoom for a long time. With me is Brad, Zach, and Corinne. And for the past 18 weeks, we have been Zooming and talking about retro movies and kellen's going back to school tomorrow um, good luck kid <laughs> yeah he'll be all right don't touch um, things <laughs> yeah um, I, actually our our uh, county's only had 31 cases so we're pretty low yeah. we're pretty good um yeah so uh, every week we've been doing retro films and this week was actually the 10th anniversary of one of the coolest movies of all time uh scott pilgrim versus the world is our retro film of the week We'll also talk about movie news, movies we've been watching, and some Blu-rays that are coming out. And we're also going to be going around town in a segment we call Brad is Looking for Something to Do Around Town. And he's found it in the form of drive-in movie theaters. Hey, film buddies. Follow me around Denver. That was like a Michael Scott headline uh, on a newspaper. (laughs) Just gets longer and longer. Uh, yeah, uh, there's not a lot to do around town, so I expanded my search and found two more drive-in theaters. So um, I'm reporting on three nowadays. That line up at the drive, 80, 88 drive-in uh, goes through August 21st. Family-friendly one. I'm sure uh, I won't get this episode up before then, so it doesn't even matter. Well, you caught up this week, so that's good. I did. I edited my ass off yesterday. That was I got like, to go to the 88 drive-in, not last Sunday, but the Sunday before. It was uh, it was interesting. I kind of liked it better than the Denver Mart, just because the uh, drive-in I went to as a kid was a little bit more like that, where it had like the dirt parking lot and the concessions were in like the building in the back and even had like the little animation with like the pickles or something at That's the beginning. Go to the movies. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, the uh the Denver Mart, it's kind of, you know, it's it's a parking lot, so there's really all you do is kind of just park and then watch the movie. They have concessions booths, but it's limited. Um, I mean, you're not supposed to Was it the, the the layout and the like how they park you at the 88 drive-in is better? Yeah. Rather than just first come, first serve, it's more like, hey, shorter cars up front, taller cars in the back, like trucks and SUVs and stuff. Yeah, when I, when I talked about my trip to the Denver Mart, you know, they said alternate parking spaces. 
Um, right. And people freaking put like two spaces between each other and totally messed everything up. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, speaking of the Denver Mart drive-in, Ryan, you're going to be very excited to hear this one. Um, well, not this one. This weekend, uh, <laughs> August 21st, the lineup is Shrek and the Great Outdoors. But the following weekend, August 28th, is a double feature of Spider-Man Homecoming and Far From Home. Oh, shit. That's my birthday, too. It's the 29th. It is. Yeah. That's um, like they knew. Yeah. Uh, and I recommend uh, getting your tickets as soon as possible because these usually sell out like two weeks in advance. So, um, Are they showing it on Sunday? Because I work Friday and Saturday. Yep. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, shit. I might do that. So, yeah, let me know. I'll, I'll join yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. See what's up with my wife if she's working. And if not, if she is, I'll have to find a babysitter for my kid. You know, he's going back to school. <laughs> I could keep him up till like 11 o'clock midnight watching Spider Man, right? Yeah, they start at 8, so it'd probably end by like 11. <laughs> well, if they no, start at 8, they're no, both two one. and a half hours. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be rough. That's awesome. Uh, and then lastly, the Holiday Twin um, is currently showing the Lego Batman movie and The Dark Knight uh, yes. through That's Friday. Awesome. So. I'll be checking that out tomorrow or Wednesday. And that's what's going on around town. Oh, Love except it. for one more thing. Um, bad news uh, for once we come out of this pandemic. The uh, Esquire might not make it. Um, it is currently up for sale as a building um, because Landmark Theaters has decided to just not pay their lease. Wow. Quarterly. So... Um, the, the it's the the property is owned by a family. It's a generational asset, and so they're asking for three point three million dollars to sell it, uh, which means it'll probably become condos, unless Landmark just goes ahead and, and pays that back rent. Um, they're willing to let them stay. Is the back rent three point three million, or that's how much the property is? That's how much the property's worth. Mm. To, to well, buy. but if you haven't had, and did they say how long they haven't paid rent for? Probably since March, right? So that's like two thousand a month. Oh, it's probably more than that. How big is how how big square footage is the Esquire? How many screens are there? I don't know. They said the property taxes for a year oh, um, so. are thirty one thousand. So that's like yeah. two thousand a month, right? Yeah, but then you still have to pay. They just do they own the actual building? Yeah. Oh, so yeah, so yeah. I mean, they, uh, the family owns the building. They're just leasing it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And so yeah, they haven't been like running power or water, so. Wow. That'd be like something like three thousand a month or something. So, so, so I mean, what, even if you're being conservative, months. it's still like twenty five grand, <laughs> almost. They haven't paid. Yeah, yeah, it's not looking good. Breaks my heart. It's like my favorite theater. So, and who will, who will do the midnights? I don't know. Yeah, that that was a <clears throat> one of the first independent theaters I ever went to. So, or like. Films, theaters that showed independent films. So that's a, it's a travesty, man. I guess when I started doing the Midnights, it was at the Mayan. So mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. if they really wanted to lose that property, I would go back there. But Mayan's cool, man. Or this bar is cool, man. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Loads of fun. I'm sorry to say that I've never been to the Esquire. Uh, I've driven by will. it many times, but never been in. Yeah, I drove by it yesterday just to like say, to like see what's going on and like some of the parts of the sign are broken and 
Oh, it yeah. sucks. Remember when, um, how long ago was that, Brad, when every week they showed another Evil Dead? Like the first week was Evil Dead, second week was Evil Dead 2, then Army of Darkness. That was like, what, 10 years 2003, ago? 2003, 2004. Wow. All I know is I won trivia every night. Right. Crushed it. Um, yeah. The movie theater I had was um, going with Brad to the midnight of Suspiria. Oh. Back in March. <laughs> yeah, so at, at the Esquire. So it was... Uh, Vesperia is okay. It was a fun movie to go to at midnight, and and if this theater does go, that's a great way to cap the multiple times that I went to those midnights. I always want to get the 4K of it because I love the box art with like the chick hanging from a noose. Yeah, and it's all like looks like a painting. But you just and don't love the movie that much. The movie's okay. Um, you know, uh, coming up on Blueberry, I don't know how far away it is because I literally pulled all of my movies that I haven't watched and put them on the bottom shelves of my uh, Blu-ray shelves. And right. I just mixed them all up. But the remake of Suspiria is in there somewhere. I think uh, it's maybe four or five away. Gotcha. So I'm not exactly sure. So, I'll, you know, if I can find it, if I can find the 4K of Suspiria cheaper than $40, which it is right now, then I might. It's Synapse, too. So you'd be getting some decent quality. I know that... Yeah, well, just- that's why it's 40. That's like their zombie and yeah. all their other stuff. I mean, they're not a huge like manufacturer of Blu-rays. So, right. They're not a big, they're not a big retro title thing either, but the 4k version that they recent, that they have put out as recent as that Blu-ray release is the one we saw in the theater and it looks fantastic. Um, yeah. So. Anyway. so two weeks in a row, we're putting a call out to any angel investors who want to save the Cairo coins, cards and comics or, yeah, billionaire square. Yeah. I, I think we're shit out of luck for coins, cards, yeah. and comics. Yeah, I was I was there last week, um, just talking to Brandon, and so this week is the last week of new comics, and they're going to stay open on Friday and Saturday throughout September. Uh, if you buy more than twenty five dollars in back issues, you get another twenty five percent off. Um, so you can save a lot of money. And when I, I oh yeah, that's, my wife is like really. <laughs> Because I've gone like two weeks in a row and I've spent like $80. Because here's the thing is like, they started time. to put, yeah, and they started putting more comics on the uh, ceiling too. So I got like, uh, what if number one, where what if Spider Man joined the Fantastic Four, which is only $15, but you know, when you get two $15 comics, then your regular comics, and then you're filling in holes of all your other stuff. It adds up, but uh, another well, another reason why is they know me so well. So anything with Green Goblin, Harley Quinn, uh, I've been collecting a lot of Poison Ivy lately. They're like, oh, we'll put this aside for Ryan. He'll just buy it. He doesn't care. And so I went in on uh, Thursday, Friday, I don't remember. And Brandon's like, hey, man, I know you've been uh, getting Harley, I mean, uh, Poison Ivy stuff lately. And this one of my hold slot guys ordered a statue and he didn't want it. Do you want it for half off? I'm like, Sure. So I got a new really cool Poison Ivy statue where she's coming out of like a blooming flower for $20. So I heard uh, Bruce has like offers from Goodwill to buy the property. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure he'll sell the property, but here's, here's my plea with people who like comic books is I shared this with Brad. There's a certain huge buyer in Colorado that offered um, coins cards, 10 cents for every issue they have. So they're really trying to undermine them. And I can understand 
10 cents for, you know, issues that w- won't move anyways, but they're still offering 10 cents and they have amazing Spider-Man number five there and things like that. So um, you should go down and support them because they've been in the community for a really long time and Bruce wants to retire and, you know, just support him and you're going to get great deals anyways. You know, like I said, I got the, um, what if number one for $15 and their graphic um, novels are 50% off. Yeah. And so. I, um, and the week before I got, um, this really dorky detective comics where Batgirl gets her mind wiped for like, uh, $10. So, you know, just, just help them out if you can throw them a few, few bucks. Yeah. Support yeah. the comics. Yeah. I already have like a pretty complete collection of turtles, but I, I kind of still want to clean them out. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, what's funny is I did that on a couple Spider-Mans just because it was weird. I didn't know they were selling the wa- ceiling books for half off until I texted you that day. And they've pretty much cleaned out the Spider-Mans, but I went back and I picked up a couple comics I had already um, because the, so the first volume of Spider-Man, I think they have like five issues left. And, uh, so I, I just got a couple like early two hundreds and things like that, just because, because I don't want anybody else to have them because I'm greedy. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just went through a bunch of back issues and then you know stocked my whole slot with them, so that yeah, I, I can as time goes on just buy a few. Yeah, and not yeah, risk you know, if you have them. a hold hold slot there, Brandon's pretty cool because I did that too. I because uh, I already had like I think it was like sixty something dollars worth of comics last week. And I wanted to complete my run of uh, DC Comics bombshells. And so it was like another eight or nine comics, which, you know, it's, it's only going to be like $27, $28. But when you start getting to a point where you're like, hmm, go get groceries or <laughs> buy more <laughs> comics. Um, but yeah, it, it's tough. I, I went and got a hold slot at another comic store and I've never felt more weird in my life getting another hold slot. And I, you know, I was debating between getting a hold slot or just having them shipped to my house. And then I, I was talking to my wife and I said, you know, I don't want comic stores to go away. And I know my little 30 or $40 a month, I don't know if it helps them, but at the same time, I'm going to go to comic stores and support local businesses. And so I changed it up to hero headquarters, which is on 88th and Sheridan. And they give you 10% off their comics. If you do a hold slot and, um, and they've been there since 1984 and they're really nice guys. They've always been pretty nice to me every time I've gone in there. So yeah. Um, every time yeah. I'm in there, they, they, the owner catches people like not wearing a mask properly and he'll just straight out call them out on it. Nice. In Fuck a nice people. way. Yeah. Well, you should like, really, you can't do it. I think they should do the mandate until uh, the end of the year and get through flu season. Cause fuck this shit. I'm tired of it. Tired of this shit. I'm tired. Yeah. I signed up at mile high just cause I was like, you know, the least likely to go out of business. Yeah, I, I didn't understand. They're like, they ship them to you. You can't pick them up at the store. No, I didn't understand their like website at all. So I was like, fuck them. Yeah, I, I, I said uh, the website I couldn't figure out. So I just went in directly and talked to the guy behind the counter. And it's pretty much the same, except that you kind of have to put a deposit down. But a but deposit. The, yeah, so like I put thirty dollars down, and then whatever books come in, they just you know subtract from that. Until oh, okay, it's gone. So okay, I was like, <laughs> they charge you for the hold slot. I thought you'd have to buy the comics too. I just giving them the middle finger. No, so, I mean they're ordering like two months out, so it's just like make mm. sure that people are honoring the stuff that they're going to get in because they're not buying new comics either. 
So yeah, unless, I, unless you have an old slot. I know they're really cutting back. Yeah. And it's, it's sad. But, you know, that's part of news, too, because Time Warner cut a lot of staff. Yeah. Hey, this is real news. It's real news. So, um, okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sorry. I'm still here. Um, the, um, the, yeah, there was a, in the midst of the merger with AT&T, um, uh, and Warner, uh, they lay off around, they laid off over 600 people. Um, after I always Red think it's really on. shitty cause Disney did it too. Like you buy a company and it's the first thing you do is like, fuck all these people. It's their, it's their way of asserting control and dominance. Cause no, it is. It's shitty with 20th century, no longer Fox. Disney did the same thing. They said, oh, see ya. Yeah, Ryan, don't get me started on how much I want to strangle the mouse right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, and amongst other things, um, it's funny, Brad was informing me a little bit more about this because I wasn't so privy to it, but I guess that DC Comics, as a result, um, shut down a lot of their different divisions. So 25%. Like, yeah, so like collectible toys are now gone. Um What's the other stuff, Brad, that you were telling me earlier? I'm sorry. They're canceling a bunch of like underperforming books. Um, Did you read the interview with Jim Lee? A little bit. No. Uh, he said that 25% of their books weren't breaking even. So everything that's been canceled as well, I'm guessing Harley Quinn isn't part of it, but um, stuff like Batgirl, um, Aquaman, um, Red Hood and the Outlaws. Hawkeye. So they canceled Hawkeye. Hawkman. Hawkman. Yeah, Hawkman. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, Hellblazer um, or Hellblazer. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, it, it it's a tough industry, but I also and I, I feel the same thing about digital movies. Is it's not that people don't want it, is the companies are forcing you to go digital. They're giving uh, you no other option. Because I was reading and I'm sure the pandemic has some to do with it, but I was reading an article where uh Blu-rays and DVD sales are like really high over last year something like 20 or something 25 percent so i I know people are buying because you know they're stuck at home but i've said it on the show before streaming and digital content makes you believe that they have everything when they don't and they're forcing you just like cds they're, they're forcing you to go digital it's not that they can't do it or it costs them a lot of money it's you're gonna go digital um yeah it's, which is is the saddest thing, and you know, it's. I knew this was coming for a long time because they're already talking about it, because they also put up um, their gaming division for sale. So stuff, uh, the teams that make uh, Arkham Knight and Mortal Kombat and uh, games like that are up for sale, and they what they got back from EA and um, Rockstar and stuff like that is they don't want to buy the whole division they're putting offers on franchises. So, you know, they don't want all of it. They want Mortal Kombat and they want the name. Um, you know, I, I would think that something like Mortal Kombat's big enough now that they could just publish their own games, but who knows? Anyways. Yeah. There's, um, there, there's a lot of truth in what you've been saying. I mean, we've all known about this for years. This isn't like a new phenomenon, but um, not to, I'm not going to spoil what the next subject is for the series that I'm going to be doing, but I've been trying to allocate Blu-rays and DVDs of the different films from the two filmmakers I'll be tackling. And we talked about it a couple months ago that Twilight Time folded. Mm-hmm. So I, they, they've put me in this position where either I have to st- 
set myself aside to just a DVD or I pay $131 for a very specific film that'd be key to the series on Blu-ray if I want to see it in the best quality possible. And I'm not happy about that. I think I'm really not. As long as you don't get a horrible transfer, uh, DVDs don't look that bad on 4K TVs. No, but that's the thing. I can't get any confirmation that the DVD version of this film It looks any good it's a kino it's an early kino but i don't know what early kino looks like um so and on top of that there's other ones that where the titles are moving toward digital like you can't even find like a decent copy of it without paying upward of 50 bucks minimum for like a movie that if you find it on dvd which it's overstocked in is like 10 bucks i'm like Mm -hmm. are you kidding me like i can't even get the best possible version of a movie that like, I'm, I'm, it's not like I'm telling you that I would ignore it. I want the movie. So, um, and a lot of it also has to do with things being out of print, but twilight times also is because that place is folded, getting a twilight time Blu-ray is going to be very difficult unless it's like a title. Nobody wants. So of course, Zach, you know, I'm going to recommend that you check your local library to see if they have the movies that you need. They might not have it on Blu-ray, but they might have it on DVD. Yeah, well, well, if I'm going to get the DVD, I could just purchase it. Like local library, if I got it, I'd want to make sure I get Blu-ray copies so I can get the best possible viewing experience. Part of it's also I want to own them. Like, it's similar to how I did Hitchcock, where I want to own the things that I'm studying, you know, so. That's uh, fair. At least my library district, I've only ever rented, like, one movie that was a, D- or that was a Blu-ray from them, and mm-hmm. that was uh, Bell which was okay. like 2016, something right there. But yeah, anything that's like older is more likely just going to be DVD. Right. But yeah, like I say, this is, it's, it's all frustrating and the AT&T news and whatnot. This is just another, this is just another instance of the corporate merging. Another big piece of news that came out through is that the Paramount decree is officially um, uh, kaput. This yeah. is not a but good thing. We knew thing. that was coming though. Well, we knew it was coming, but here's the thing that we need to reiterate to the audience. It's not a good thing. If you think that theaters, uh, studios owning their own theater chains again is a good idea, you need to remember when the studio system was in existence and how it strangled other, th- other theater, independent theater owners, and it limited the exposure of movies outside of the studio system. It's, a, it's, um, it's not a good thing, guys. It's going mm-hmm. to limit the amount of voices that come out of the industry. Yeah. But, All your um, art house films, well, you'll probably, you know, if Disney owns AMC or Regal Theaters, like, you're not going to get to see, you know, much of, like, all those indie things that, like, the Alamo and Landmark yeah. get. And the big thing about this is that, like, in the, in, in the Hollywood Report article that talked about the decree being null and void now, is that there are studios and distributors making the pact that they're not going to abuse the system and I can only roll my eyes at that. <laughs> yes, exactly. You can't see it, but Brad just did the jerk off motion. It's hilarious. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to try to find something positive guys. Can nice. I give you guys a positive piece of news? Weezer's doing a, a song for the new Bill and Ted movie. Yeah. And did it, you watch the video? It's awesome. I know it's really <laughs> awesome. Isn't it? Um, it's beginning of the end, <laughs> so which at first I almost thought Smashing Pumpkins beginning is the end is the beginning is the end. <laughs> um, but um, no, it's a it's a great video. You should check it out. Um, it's strewn all about the news sites at this point. Um, and also, Bella Lugosi is coming back as Dracula, guys, in a new comic that's coming in October, and uh, it looks 
fucking cool, and I want it. <laughs> the, the, it. Good news, the good news <laughs> is, is that Bella's son approved everything, so it's all image licensed, approved by the family. So you're going to get Dracula in a comic book form, guys. It's going to be awesome. Um, and then, let's see. Um, Warner Brothers is um, uh, putting out a movie called Tenant, as we all know. It's going to save movies, guys. Don't worry. Um, but, it's definitely um, coming out to Colorado September 3rd. I just got an alert on my Regal app about it. I know. And, I think tickets um, go on sale Sunday? Sunday. I've got to stay by the phone on Sunday. Um, but here's the thing. Also, when, uh, it's going to be showing Inception in the IMAX for mm-hmm. the 10th anniversary. Yeah. It's next week. Yep. And um, when you go to see Tenant, um, Warner Brothers is asking for 63% of the box office from the theaters, which is way higher than they usually ask for the percentage um, during initial release. Um, so this is, this is a sign that Warner Brothers is struggling to justify a lot of their high-end releases if they're asking for that much percentage from the theater, which also needs to stay alive. Well, it, it's, it, so right now, everybody's hurting. Yeah. And I mean, theaters are hurting, but too, I mean, you're talking about a corporate, I know they're a huge corporation, but they're taking billion dollar hits right now. That's a lot of money. Oh yeah. I'm not, Um, I'm not saying it's completely unjustified. There's gotta be some, I don't know. It's right now. Everything kind of sucks. So um, I keep on looking for things that will go back to being somewhat normal with, um, you know, with, safety precautions intact and you know it, the thing that's so s- drives me crazy about movie theaters is i just before we started we, i literally got an espn alert that they're saying oh well you know the kansas city chiefs are going to let twenty two thousand people into their stadium and you go well and it's approved and you go well what I, I don't understand this stuff it's been driving me crazy ever since this has begun because there's no rhyme or reason it's just everybody is just shooting from the hip basically Oh yeah. They're not, um, they are not, uh, they're, they're not adjusting to the fact that things have radically been upended. They are just trying to, you know, as you said, shooting from the hip, they're rolling a dice and seeing what happens. Like there's a possibility and I don't want to like, you know, knock wood, but theaters reopen two weeks later, they get closed down again Uh, because something happens. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. I know Ryan and I kind of talked about this before when the, uh, Disney announced that Mulan would be streaming on Disney Plus, but you have to rent it. It's $30 to rent it, which is, I think, outrageous. But, I think so, too. And, you know, Karina... So, yeah, I, it's like what you were saying. Like, they're just trying to... They have to charge that much just to break even at this point. Or even, yeah. not even break even, but just just decrease their losses as much as possible. And it makes sense if, like, a household like yours, like, where there's three or four people buys it, and it's like, okay, you know, that's about equivalent of what you would get to pay to go to a movie theater. But, you know, like, I live basically alone. So, (laughs) I mean, buying it just to watch it by myself would be ridiculous. Well, it's – I on the variety, they said 65% Disney Plus subscribers – have to order it for it to break even. And this is another thing. And I, I, here's my whole take on this. I understand what Disney has, but they decided to yank it. And now movie theaters are opening. And, you know, I, I thought for a long time, they're like, oh, you know, they're only going to have tenant. They're only going to have unhinged. So maybe like three or four movies. You pull up the Regal app. They literally have classic movies playing all month long. So they're not really that 
spreading that many things out. They could have made room for Mulan. It's I'm telling people, I don't think you should order it on Disney plus. Cause if you order it on Disney plus and they make money off of it, you're setting a precedent for Disney to go, well, whatever. We'll just put it straight to Disney plus and charge $30 and we can still make $250 million where we're not having to pay the theater. We're not having to pay distributors. We don't have to spend as much on um, marketing because we can just put a banner on top of Disney plus saying coming September 3rd, Mulan. You know, it's it's setting a really dangerous precedent if you like going to the movies. Because... Also, if, if you're a filmmaker, like imagine being excited about like, you know, mixing things in 7.1 or like yeah. seeing an IMAX and suddenly you're like, well, this is just going to go on someone's like owner TV with and, no surround sound system. And that's another, uh, you brought up a point, Brad, which is shitty. So the director of Mulan is a great director, but she's only made one like independent film or something like that. Yeah. And you have someone like Christopher Nolan going to Warner Brothers says, no, you're releasing this movie in theaters because I won't let you release it on, you know, digital platform. And that's a, that's a big testament to the power that Nolan's held over the well, industry for it, years. But. but it's also shitty because the young woman who directed Mulan can't walk into Disney's offices and say, no, you, you have to show this in the theater. Which, it, it, uh, yeah. There, there's a disparity there because yeah. only someone as powerful as Christopher Nolan, who's made billions of dollars, has the clout to say something like that. And, and I'm not saying Christopher Nolan's wrong. I'm just saying it's bullshit. Yep. And it's, uh, it's, it also is a two puncher because it's also a yet another female voice in the industry being um, uh, made to believe that her voice won't matter if she stands up and says, Hey, put my film in a fucking movie theater where it fucking belongs. It's an epic. Mulan's an epic. It needs a big screen. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, take I, away my opportunity to break records. Yeah, I can see like what Ryan said about, you know, this could set a precedent if it does well enough. But I think it could also go the other way that if people watch it at home and they like it and they do like a social media campaign that's like put Mulan in the theaters and the theaters can stay open long enough and be sustainable that, yeah, maybe in November Disney's like, okay, yeah, we'll put it in the theater and like people can go see it for Christmas or something. I have a weird feeling that might happen anyways. Um, Because here's the thing is if I was the movie theaters, I would do a really hard pushback if they said you need to close again. Because what's the evidence of people going to a movie theater that's directly tied to them getting this virus? They don't have it. And they they can't say anything because um, there's thousands of people walking the streets every night, hundreds of people going to churches. Well, but it might be more on the employee side, not necessarily on the guest side. Like if there's an outbreak among the employees, then yeah, they're going to have to no, I understand that, but if there's an outbreak of the employees, why don't they just shut that theater down for a few days, right. get people tested, and you don't have to shut the whole system down. It's, that's all I'm saying. It, it's that's that's what really irritates me right now is you can have all these events. You can have. I mean, I was watching. I wasn't watching, but I was flipping through, and they there's cornhole on ESPN, um, and they had people in the stands with like spaces in between them. You know, it's so what's the difference? There is no difference. It's just Here, outdoor events are better right now just because, you know, you're if you have any kind of air circulation, that's definitely a hit against you. Well, and I know I, I understand the science behind it. <laughs> I'm just saying there is I mean, no they have outdoor movies. I mean, like if the drive in started showing Mulan or Tenet or whatever, yeah. like that might work. Yeah. Anyways, that's just me bitching because I'm tired of the shit. I understand, Ryan. I'm getting um, stir crazy. 
Can I can I can I cheer you up a little bit with some Seth MacFarlane news? Uh, sure. Sure. Seth MacFarlane's gonna um, move on from comedy to drama. He's developing a drama series called The Winds of War, uh, based on a Herman Wolk novel. Um, he'll be working it um, with uh, the alienist Seth Fisher, um, and he's calling it the next phase of his career. And this is part of his two million, two hundred million dollar overall deal with NBC Universal. So I'd like to see what Seth MacFarlane does with drama. He's I'm good, curious. He's a great performer. He is. I'm curious <laughs> what this will be, um, but I, I I do not deny that he has an intelligent mind um, at his helm. So odds are he is going to be just fine. Um, yep. And then the last piece of news is a fun thing that we can all enjoy. Um, does anybody remember Steven Spielberg's director's chair? It's a nineties computer game mm-hmm. um, where you, where you learn from Spielberg in a rather half-assed way, how to make movies through your CD-ROM computer game. Um, this uh, little game featured appearances by such people as Quentin Tarantino, Jennifer Aniston and Penn and Teller uh, playing actors in the movie that you would get to choose basically how their how the movie would be formed based on different takes and such. Um, a programmer decided that he was just going to make it a Bandersnatch type of thing, um, if you recall the Black Mirror Bandersnatch thing, where it's now a choose your own adventure type of thing. <laughs> um, nice. And it's and it's pretty it, it's pretty adorable. I like the fact that somebody took this crazy '90s misguided '90s computer game and turned it into what we all really wanted. <laughs> um, and if you watch Quentin Tarantino's footage in it. It's weird. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's news. No, it's not, Zach. You missed some bits of news from the world of animation. Uh-oh. What did I miss, Corinne? All right. The Avatar The Last Airbender creators, uh, Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konietzko, have left the live-action Netflix adaptation. Um, it seems like it was over creative differences. So, of course, the entire uh, Avatar The Last Airbender fandom got really upset about that. <laughs> and well, really suspicious of Netflix right now. I think Netflix is trying to get M. Night Shyamalan to come back. <laughs> um, no, that's that sucks. I'm sorry to hear that. Because it would be cool if they would stick with it and that Netflix would not um, rear its ugly head into that creative business. Because if they can leave Scorsese alone, I'm sure that they can leave those guys alone. Speaking of Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, that it's on Netflix right now. It came on a couple of months ago. It's gained a lot of popularity. But on Friday, its sequel series, The Legend of Korra, dropped. And it's been trending on Netflix. So you should all check that out. I'll be talking about it a little bit later, maybe. Uh, that's not really news, Corinne. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> Not? You know what? It's it's news that if, if James, hi James, if you're still listening to this show, you will like this news. Um, um, and then the you, last thing I wanted to mention is that in May they announced that Inuyasha, which was a popular anime from like late 2000s or whatever, uh, is going to get a sequel series, and then last week they dropped a trailer for it. So my inner 13-year-old has been doing cartwheels ever since. Aw, that's cool. So not so, really news, more of Korean happy time is what we're going to call this. I uh, like Korean happy time. I, I don't remember why I didn't mention the fact that the sequel got announced whenever it it was announced in May on the show, but I'm telling the people listening at home right now don't watch it i want another season it's gonna get a sequel series and it's gonna be awesome 
Mm. I think it's, no, it's, it's probably going to be derivative of the first one. It's supposed to come out in October, so we will find out then. I don't know. I'm just trying to pick a fight with you. <laughs> I'm above that now, Ryan. Good. Pride and Prejudice is awful. Zach, movies are coming out on Blu-ray. DVD releases and Blu-rays. So we didn't do a segment last week, but I want to let the world know that you can now, at the very last, through Warner Archive, get John Travolta in Michael on Blu-ray. <laughs> nice. So if you were if you were wanting Michael on Blu-ray, congratulations! Your long wait has been rewarded. <laughs> that po- movie poster and the one for October Sky always bothered me. <laughs> October it's just Sky. John Tra- it's just John Travolta like looking over his right shoulder and smiling. Yeah, and it, let me tell you though, October Sky is less egregious than Michael. Whatever, Michael, October Sky, everyone's like this. That they're looking up at the stars. Michael's looking at you, and it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, in, in this week's news, um, Flash Gordon has gotten a 4K via Arrow. Yeah. Um, so you can get that on uh, 4K. Um, along with, they also put out the complete collection of Gamera. If you recall, Gamera is friend to children. Um, and uh, the let's see, Screen Factory is putting out Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. Yes. Ryan, do you have that on pre-order? I have no idea. I think I no, I think that's a Hammer film, though, if I remember correctly. Yep, it's I could a be Hammer wrong. Film, and you can get it. I've been uh, watching a lot of Hammer stuff lately, though. Their stuff's pretty good. Oh God, Hammer's fun, dude. Like it'd be, it'd be cool if they if Scream could get not all of them, but like the big big essentials. Like uh, I think they pretty much do now. They have uh, I think three Draculas. I watched Curse of the Werewolf. Did I talk about that last couple weeks ago? No, so. you didn't. But um, you talked about um, Dracula, Prince of Darkness. I didn't talk about Curse of the Werewolf. Nope. No, we'll talk about um, it this week. But uh, I was going to say though, last week they did put out their Phantom of the Opera one. Yeah, you know, I, I wasn't going to get that one, but then I was reading a review of it on Blu-ray.com. And in the special features, you know who originally was supposed to be the Phantom? Oh, God. Fucking who? Cary Grant. <laughs> he came... I he trailed came, off there. All I heard was Phantom of the Opera. What are you talking about? <laughs> so Hammer released a Phantom of Hammer films. And I think it's late 60s, early 70s. It's at 62. Is this the one where he gets acid thrown on his face? I. Uh, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. But I was reading a. Um, is this the Universal Monster movie? No, it's Hammer. No, this is a Hammer version of the Phantom of the Opera from 1962. Yeah, um, so, that stars Herbert Lom and Heather Sears and Michael yeah. Goff. And the special features, uh, I was reading the film historian who's on him or who, someone talking about the film uh, mentioned that this was a passion project for Cary Grant. And he decided not to do it, but he almost did his only horror film. Well, notorious kind of. Uh, Oxycol Lace is like a black comedy. <laughs> I mean, it deals with serial killers, but. Yeah, I'm just. But, you know, it's one of those things where I he like Cary Grant, if any time from the 40s to about the mid 60s, he's probably mentioned in every <laughs> movie. Um, but I thought it'd been cool if he was the Phantom. But I think he said he was too old to play the Phantom. Christine, don't look at my face. It's terrifying. <laughs> Not a great imitation, but no, that was I horrible. Like the idea. 
I like the idea of him doing that. <laughs> yes, me too. Um, oh, God. But, um, hey, Ryan, do you also, like, I know you like Cary Grant, but do you like Batwoman? Ah, uh, yeah, I love Batwoman. You can get the first season of the Batwoman show on Blu-ray. I have not seen um, the show. The comic is great. Oh, right on. Um, I heard they changed Batwoman um, in the middle of um, the series, so... Uh, no, um, she uh, it'd be next season. I think is the new Batwoman. You can read all, uh, watch all about it at DC Fandom, which is August twenty first and twenty second. Yeah. Speaking of more DC, Deathstroke: Knights and Dragons, the movie is coming to Blu-ray and DVD. Um, uh, so I'm not a Deathstroke familiar. Um, I know that he popped up at the end of um, a, a certain movie that was not directed by Sachs. Joss Whedon's Justice yes. League. <laughs> yeah, Joss Whedon's. Uh, yeah um and let's move on to a positive news hey guys the ninth or no i'm sorry not the ninth another of the american pie presents movies is coming to blu-ray american pie presents beta house i need somebody to explain to me why i can't get a collector's edition of radio land murders but we get american pie presents beta house on blu-ray obviously they still sell really well <sighs> who's Maybe. buying them ryan who <laughs> i have no idea i haven't seen well i did see the one with Stifler's brother. I don't even know which one is that. Bandcamp or uh, sounds like that or the naked Sti- mind. Uh, uh, American Pie presents Stifler's brother. I don't know. <laughs> that, if <laughs> <laughs> Sean William Scott has like a second long cameo, um, and uh, let's move on to something classy. Criterion's putting out The Comfort of Strangers, which is a Paul Schrader movie. So if you'd like to check that out, it's got Christopher Walken in it. So you can't go wrong there. Um, Back over to Kino Lober. They are putting out Soldier Blue with Candace Bergen, Peter Strauss, and Donald Pleasance. Uh, so, I like yeah. Candace Bergen. I used to love Murphy Brown. Uh, dude, I like Candace Bergen, not just because she's a talented actress, but her father was a ventriloquist, a great ventriloquist, the only good one. Um, but she's also good in um, – she's good in Gandhi. She's pretty good in Gandhi. Um, yep. And then, Ryan, I've got some news for you that I'm sure you already have on, your, on the way over. Um, Frederick March, Cary Grant, Carol Lombard, and Jack Oakey all in one movie? Yeah, it's called The Eagle and the Hawk, and it's coming to your Blu-ray players courtesy of Kino Lorber. Um, yeah, I I need I should have this on the way, except I didn't pre-order it, so I'll have to just go ahead and order you it. You stupid motherfucker. I, you know what? I'm an idiot because, well, <laughs> actually I'm not an idiot because I was able to procure stuff for the next series that is very going to be very helpful. Oh, um, no, it's, um, I, I tell everybody, it's the Cary Grant movie that surprised me the most watching it, um, just because how incredibly dark the film is. And it's, I, I don't know if it's the first film to deal with PTSD from war, um, but Frederick Mark plays um, a great fighter pilot. He's um, the Eagle. Cary Grant's the Hawk because he's the um, lookout guy. Like, so in biplanes, you had the pilot, and then the guy behind you was kind of your navigator. And, um, you know, everybody's cheering every time he comes back and shoots down um, the enemy, but Frederick Mark does not like it. And he suffers from depression from it. And him and Cary Grant have a rivalry. It's a really great film. Yeah. Carol Lombard's in it for maybe five minutes, but she's amazing in the film. Five minutes of Carol Lombard is worth 90% of my time anytime. I I did read that the reason she decided to be in that film for only that amount of time because it's 1932 so she was kind of starting to establish herself um but because she loved the script so much and she thought the character she played was so important that she was okay with 
not being in the film that long. There you go. Well, that's yeah. uh, so you should really check it out because even the aerial airplane fights are pretty incredible. Oof. If you can get aerial aerial shots in the 30s that look cool that aren't done by Howard Hughes, you know you're in for a treat. Um, mm-hmm. um, also from Kino Lobor, Wake Island from 1942. It's a war film with Brian Dunleavy and uh, McDonald Carey. Um, it's a it's a pretty decent film. I would check it out if you've not seen Wake Island. There's your chance to go see it now. Um, Shutter is putting out on Blu-ray Cursed Films, which is their series on cursed film sets and film productions. I have not Ultra, seen the show. Have you? Uh, High Def Digest said it's garbage. So, <laughs> the show? Yeah. Or, they, okay. It's the lowest rating I've ever seen them give a Blu-ray. Really? Oh, mm-hmm. I haven't watched the show yet. So, um, Neither have I. That kind of, but at any rate, um, we'll, we'll, we'll go back again to Something positive. Uh, something positive. Uh, Arrow's putting out Pitch Black on 4K and Blu-ray. Oh, wait, oh, no, that's fuck. not positive. That's not positive. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, Pitch Black. Um, it's okay. The first of the Riddick movies. There's some dialogue in that movie that I don't appreciate. <laughs> oh, there's... What's the... Is it Chronicles of Riddick, the second one? Uh, yes, it is, yes. That one has some really offensive dialogue in it. Yeah. Where he's talking to... Katie Sackhoff's character and he's saying all she needs is like a good dick or something like that I can't forget exactly what's happening and she's like taking her shirt off it's really bad and usually you know I I don't really care about nudity and stuff like that but it was blatant really horrible and I guess that's why too I'm not a big fan of Friday the 13th part 5 because the nudity and some stuff is so gratuitous that it's stupid and that's all I can think of that Chronicles of Riddick or whatever the third one or I don't even know which one it is um, put a really bad taste in my mouth that I I will (laughs) I'll never watch those movies again yeah Um, well I'm trying to find one to end on a good note but it doesn't look like there's anything guys we need movies to come back so that oh wait guys I did find a positive one welcome home Roscoe Jenkins from 2008 starring Martin Lawrence is now available on blu-ray that a positive one to end on, Ryan? Sure. Okay. Hey, we watch movies throughout the week in a segment I call What You've Been Watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Corinne, are you still with us? Yes. We'll start with you. Okay. Well, I've been watching, like, all animation this week, so strap in. Um... I revisited Avatar The Last Airbender, watched the whole series. It's uh, three seasons, about 20, 22 episodes per season. Fantastic show. Um, It really, really holds up, even after like 10 plus years. Uh, If you don't know the story, Avatar The Last Airbender is set in a world where people can bend the elements, um, and you have the four different nations, so four nations for the four elements. So the Fire Nation, people there can bend fire. Earth Kingdom, people there can bend earth, etc. So Aang is the last airbender because his people, the air nomads, got killed. And he is also the Avatar, which means he's the only person who can bend all four elements. And he's the bridge between the human world and the spirit world. Anyway, the first series, or the first season's kind of not like rough, but it's rougher than the other two because I think they were really trying to 
walk the line between like this is a fun kid show but also like this is kind of serious subject matter and so sometimes you have like this weird dissonant like emotional dissonance between like the jokes and like the really serious stuff that's going on the uh, one scene I can give you as an example is in the third episode when Aang goes back to the Southern Air Temple where he's from and he finds out that all of his people have been killed in gen- in this genocide by the Fire Nation is that you have this joke right when Aang is like finding the, the body of his mentor, his father figure. Um, and then it's like immediately like the tone shifts dramatically and it just doesn't like that's one thing about the show is like they try to cram so much in and because they have to be family friendly they try to keep it light with the jokes and the jokes are very like you know seven or eight year old kid based so they're kind of like just wacky and funny which isn't necessarily a bad thing but you know it's a little weird when you're cutting between like here's this really good like fight choreography and here's them trying to like sneak into a party it's just a little weird sometimes. I think like the for my Friday night <laughs> party at the Fire Nation, bruh. <laughs> I think they get better with it in the second season and then the third season even more so. Um, and then the third season, I think the third season is almost perfect because like everything kind of falls into place. This show has such great character building, such great um, character development. Zuko, if you don't know, is has one of the best character arcs in all of fiction, and it's built up so well over uh, book one and book two, which is the first two seasons. And so by the time you get to book three, you're, like, totally on board with, like, his whole character transformation. So when he gets to the end of the series and he's completed his arc, you're like, yes, you have earned this, which is what I wanted them to do for Ben Solo in the Star Wars trilogy, but... Alas, that is not what we got because those people don't know how to write character arcs. They should have talked to the guys from Avatar The Last Airbender and taken some pointers from them. Ben Solo just deserved to die. (laughs) Or or they should have written a Star Wars movie. That would have been awesome. I I really think it would have been better. Um, So like I said, the Avatar um, story, uh, the universe continues in The Legend of Korra, which I've also seen. Um, which just dropped on Netflix. So I have not watched it yet because I was trying to finish up some other shows I'll talk about in a second. But Legend of Korra is also fantastic. Um, It deals with a lot of... It's a little bit more adult than Avatar The Last Airbender was. So So there's fucking... So if Last Airbender is like your 8 to 12-year-olds, then Korra is more like 13 to 15-year-olds. You know, like your preteens, early teenagers... And they do get into some really interesting things. They're, they're allowed to be a little bit more darker. Anyway, so check it out. Um, both the series are on Netflix. So I watched two other, uh, both anime shows. I watched Saint Seiya The Lost Canvas after my friend Jerry recommended it to me. And it's really good, but unfortunately it didn't get a third season So it just ends really abruptly. And it's like, imagine if the Star Wars, original Star Wars trilogy ended after The Empire Strikes Back and we never got a Return of the Jedi or an episode six in general. That's what Saint Seiya the Lost Canvas does. Like, 
the heroes get defeated and Hades, who's the antagonist of the series, gets away and they have to like regroup and the mentor figure of the series dies and you're like, oh my gosh, like what are they going to do? And you never get to find out because they canceled it and they never got a third season. It's bullshit. So, just anyway. like Woody's Roundup. <laughs> <laughs> yep, just like Woody's Roundup. But Saint Seiya, <laughs> The Lost Canvas, I've never seen any of the other Saint Seiya stuff, but I think this was like a good introduction to it because you get an idea of how the world works, the, who, what the main conflict is, how the like different constellations, cloths, and all that, how they function, and the different gold saints. Basically, they just introduce a bunch of characters only to just kill them off, so it's sort of like Game of Thrones. Uh, if you're into that stuff, go watch Saint Say the Lost Canvas, because you just get attached to characters, and then they die. It's a great time. And then the other series I watched, uh, completely opposite of that, is Toradora, which is a shoujo anime, so, like, romantic comedy, coming-of-age sort of thing. It's about these five high schoolers, and they're all, like, in love with each other, and, oh, so-and-so likes this person, who's best friends with this person, and it's kind of complicated, but... It took a while for it to get going. I think I was like four or five episodes in, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to keep going with this. But then they introduced the fifth character, and like immediately the dynamics changed, and I think it changed for the better. So I was like, okay, I'm actually like wanting to see how this goes now. And her arc is pretty interesting. Like, she's kind of a bitch. Um, At least initially, she puts on this facade of, like, she treats everyone super nice, but then, like, when everyone walks away, she is totally fine with, like, oh, I don't have to keep this up anymore. I can be a total asshole to you right now. You know, basically, the the ones she doesn't have, she wants to impress certain people, and the ones she doesn't feel like she has to impress, she can be a bitch to them. But she has a nice arc over the course of the show, and... I don't know, like, the characters are just kind of fun and crazy, and it's a lot of, like, shoujo anime hijinks, so I guess if you're into that, you should check it out. And the last thing I'll talk about is I watched an anime movie called Hello World. It just came out last year, and this was something I'd never seen before. So it was, like, anime-style But it was 3D animation. It was really trippy. If you don't know exactly what I'm talking about, go to YouTube and type in Hello World trailer, and it will make a lot of sense. Basically, just imagine, like, what anime characters look like, and then just put them in a 3D world. Like, it's really... It threw me off, the whole movie. I didn't really like it, just the art style in general. I'm like, either you go Pixar, and you just make it its own thing, or you do the hand-drawn so that it looks like everything else. But whatever. I don't know. Maybe they just wanted to experiment with it. I've never seen anything like that before. But I actually have seen something of that nature because they redid um, Pokemon, the first movie, as a CGI film of some sort. I saw, like, footage from it, and I was like, okay, I saw that, and then I moved on with my day. So I guess that that's what they're trying to move in towards with anime now. Ugh, I don't like it because anime is like one of the few holdouts of hand-drawn animation. 
I mean, admittedly, there are some elements where it's like, yeah, you can tell, like, that was digitally animated. Like, they do a lot of the backgrounds and a lot of, like, mm, yeah, a lot of, like, backgrounds and, like, nature settings. I'm trying to think of, like, an example. Your Name, if I, which you should all go watch because it's an amazing movie. But Your Name is a great example of blending, like, digital animation with the hand-drawn in a way that's very seamless and very well done. So, but this was all 3D. And and while it is weird to watch it, it there are scenes where it's really, really cool. And they actually get to, like, it, it helps. Like, it, 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 it works. And I don't know how to explain it without showing you clips, but... It, it really, it's like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse kind of thing where it's like, it takes you a while to get used to the art style, but then once you're in it, you're like, okay, this is like, it, like it kind of meshes with the world and it just works out beautifully. And there's some really good animation sequences in it. And it's, okay, so Hello World is like, yeah, your name mixed with the Matrix. <laughs> um it's about, it's like a love story, but they add a lot of sci-fi elements to it. So this kid, um, he's in high school. He's kind of a loner. He doesn't really get along with a lot of people. He's just really awkward, and he doesn't know how to express himself confidently. And one day he gets a visit from someone who we later find out is his himself 10 years from the future and he's like hey i'm here to help you get a girlfriend and they're like huh like yeah seriously i'm here to help you get a girlfriend so we find out that this girl that's in the kids class they start dating uh within a couple of months and then she has an accident and she goes into a coma and in 10 years she is not woken up so the older self comes back to the past He's basically like, I want to help you not make the same mistake I did. I want to help you save her in your timeline, quote unquote. See, that's the other thing is like, so they explain how the world, the quote past, is actually a simulation, basically, or it's like a recording of the past. And so by interfering, he's able to save her in the past, it makes sense, and I don't want to spoil too much of it, but yeah, I don't know how to explain it very well, sorry. But it, when, if you, if you've seen The Matrix, it kind of makes sense to you, so it's like, it's all like a digital world, like a simulation, and he's traveling back into the simulation to save this girl in the simulation, and then, spoilers, because he wants to take her soul, in essence, and transfer it into her physical body back in the future. Because she is not woken from the coma. So he wants to use the data from this new simulation to upload into his girlfriend who's in the coma. Anyway, it sounds really stupid, but it makes sense when you watch it. And it was a beautiful movie, so... It's not out in the U.S. yet, <laughs> so when it is, I'll let you all know, and you should check out Hello World, 
when it becomes available on wide release. Because it's a beautiful movie. Yeah, what Corinne said. <laughs> Ryan's totally spacing out over there. It's a Matrix. I mean, at least Brad was trying to follow it. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Zach, what'd you watch this week? Um, really quickly before I do that, I wanted to say that um, uh, if you were following my uh, social media, one of our one of our, one of my podcasting friends, Brendan Creasy, um, had gone missing over the last week, and it got to the point where they put a missing persons report out for him. I wanted to say that he has been found and he is getting the help he needs. So, Brendan, if you are listening, I love you, man, and I'm glad you are um, home safe and um, getting whatever help you need, brother. Um, moving on to what I've been watching this week, though, um, I. Uh, I I rewatched um, a movie called F for Fake, uh, which is an Orson Welles film. It's the last film that he did um, that was completed up until Other Side of the Wind got completed. And um, uh, Ryan, I've, when I was rewatching it, it's in the first couple of minutes, I was like, this is a movie Ryan might like. And then name a movie you immediately would not like. <laughs> it's, it was like one of those things where I'm just like, oh, maybe I found the one. No. <laughs> like, but if you don't know the movie, it's a, docu- it's a documentary, quote unquote. It's more of like a visual essay on bakery where Wells uh, took footage from BBC interviews. Because he likes cake. Yes, because I like cake. I like British cake. I like all kinds of cake. I'm worse than Wells. Um, but uh, no, he took footage from... Um, a documentary that was being made on a known art forger um, who was having a book written about him by Clifford Irving, who was later accused of forgery um, when he was claiming to have secured the rights to write the autobiography of Howard Hughes. Um, And so the movie is essentially an essay on fakery that also includes Orson Welles' own story about faking the Mars landing for War of the Worlds. Um, And it's, it's still an amazing film. It's hard to sell to people other than you just have to experience this movie and get on its wavelength. I know Ryan's laughing because I see his face. Um, <laughs> but trust me when I say it's like, it's one of those criterions that I'm glad they have it because I don't know who else would put it out. Um, but, but anyway, um, and then I rewatched the Maltese Falcon. Um, it's a great oh, I film. love that movie. Oh God, of course it is. Um, it's, um, it's weird though. Like I, I put the DVD in. like, I don't even know if I need to upgrade to Blu-ray right away. Cause that DVD, which came out in shit, like early, late 20, late, late two thousands, early 2010s. It still looks fucking fantastic. I can um, let you like, borrow it. Really, if you want to compare, I'd like to, I mean, it's only 15 bucks on Amazon. I'm going to pick it up eventually. Uh, hint, hint. Um, but um, uh, so, but it, it was just fun rewatching that film. The last time I, I saw it, in full was probably when I went to see it at the Esquire with Brad at midnight, um, which was a couple of years back. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's just a fun film, a good, good mystery story with Humphrey Bogart, probably at, like, it's weird. Like this is probably the most despicable Humphrey Bogart's allowed to be um, ever until um, like, because prior to that he was allowed to be despicable and, but he would get shot at the end. He's just a straight up anti-hero who just gets, he gets to, he gets to run around the room being an asshole for the purposes of being good. It's, it's a great anti-hero role for him. He doesn't really get to play that kind of mean again 
on Treasure of the Sierra Madre a few years later. Because um, then he gets Casablanca and he's more of a noble anti-hero. Um, and then um, I <clears throat> went ahead and um, rewatched Citizen Kane. Um, it's uh, still great. Looks fantastic. Don't know what else there is to really say about that movie. Um, and then the last thing that I did with Brad is we went up to the drive-in at Fort Collins and we watched Fiction and Reservoir Dogs on the drive-in. Um, man, that was a lot of fun. Uh, it, uh, I, I think it was actually kind of perfect to watch two Quentin Tarantino movies at a drive-in. It made the most sense. The only way it would have been better is if they were showing Grindhouse. Um, but Pulp Fiction, it's still great. It's not a Quentin film I go back to a lot. Um, but I still love it. I, it's obviously it's well written, well acted, beautifully directed. Um, but it was uh, it was definitely one of those things where since I haven't seen the movie in like probably about four years, um, it it played to me in a very interesting way given how much we've gone through over the last four years with content being addressed and stuff. But like I'll say, like it holds up immensely well. Obviously, because it's a great movie, it's going to do that. Um, and just it it made me realize it's I love. Martin Landau as Ed, in Ed Wood, but I really wish Samuel Jackson had won that fucking Oscar because his stuff at the end in the diner where he's standing off Tim Roth and uh, giving him the whole explanation of Ezekiel twenty five seventeen and why he uses it is such an amazing delivery and such beautiful acting that I just ah it kind of frustrates me that he didn't win in in that in that certain sense um, and Reservoir Dogs watching it on a drive in felt kind of like movies grimy it's still got it it has that look of like this early early 90s film that was shot for nothing um so it kind of felt perfect at the drive-in um and i was falling in love with harvey Keitel all over again like he's fucking amazing in the movie i i always drew my attention to like tim roth and michael madsen in that movie but watching Keitel and his emotional journey throughout the hundred the hundred and something minutes of that film is is great. Um, I kind of wish Quentin had used him more than just uh, this in Pulp Fiction, but alas, may- maybe we never know. Harvey Keitel is still alive, and Quentin's well, got in one from more Dust Till Dawn. I mean, it's not really a Quentin movie, but kind of is. And he is. He does do a voice in Inglorious Bastards for five seconds, but that's not really a role. That's a cameo. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but yeah, it, it was fantastic. One thing I will note, though, on the other screen, they were showing Back to the Future and Inside Out. So Inside Out is ending. The credits are rolling. At that point, the scene where Butch and Marcellus Wallace are being held in the pawn shop basement <laughs> pops up, and, you, and you've got Perfect. them held in their chairs. I'm just like, please don't tell me any children are looking behind them <laughs> from the other side of the screen to see this, you know, you know unmistakably horrifying imagery. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's fantastic. It was fun. And... Um, everybody had their speakers out like, and there were, you know, lounge chairs outside for Pulp Fiction. So I would step outside and I would just listen to Pulp Fiction from the outside. And it was kind of magical, especially when they did the, uh, the dance sequence at Jackrabbit Slims, um, which by the way, if I die, I want you to spread my ashes at a Jackrabbit Slims that you guys will have to build yourselves. Um, and uh, that's all I've been watching. Brad. Yeah, I watched a bunch of stuff. Uh, as Zach said, I uh, watched Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs um, at Drive-In, and those are good movies. Um, Reservoir Dogs, though, um, uh, it's a little more bored in, because it's really a bunch of... Like, a lot of the dialogue is just the characters wondering who... It's like the same scene over and over again of the characters wondering who is possibly 
in ins- like a inside um the rat who's the rat who's the rat yeah yeah so it just kind of like goes around around a bunch of different ways um it feels like it's a stage play like in a lot of ways right I mean, yeah like, it's a lot of it just takes place in that warehouse yeah yeah and i, you know, I, was, I was, go ahead you know, like you always kind of remember like that diner scene being a large chunk of the movie and it's really not yeah it's a great way to get you to know those characters for the most part um i was telling you when we were driving back about how a lot of what feels imperfect about reservoir dogs kind of gets smoothed out in the hateful eight in terms of delivery and um uh presentation um whether or not you like one over the other is entirely up to you but yeah uh yeah and then uh because the film closed in 2000 i was uh i inspired to get back to watching the movies I said I was going to watch before the show and uh, so I watched Castaway Frequency and American Psycho again uh, Castaway way shorter than I remember um, like just flew by um, yeah I remember it being some like really long and it was not this time around so uh, Frequency was good too um, hadn't seen that in a while Actually, uh, misdescribed it on the episode. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he, uh, the the son and his father don't just solve their mom's murder. Um, initially, his dad died. He's a firefighter. His dad's a firefighter. He dies in a fire, fighting a fire. Um, and when they subvert that, um, it causes you know, this other event to take place that ensnares their mom. Um, and like, there's like a serial killer of women, um, in, in New York at the time that she's wrapped up men. And, uh, right. so they end up, uh, thwarting a bunch of those murders. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, I totally forgot about that part of it. Um, and then, uh, American Psycho, um, uh, as I, actually, I watched the bonus features and uh, it was really fascinating to hear more about uh, there's like a documentary of like Mary Heron trying to like put the movie together. I guess they were going to, uh, who was it? Like Christian Bale was not like, it was her first choice, but the studio wanted Leonardo DiCaprio at one point. Um, and like, yeah, understandably because he was fresh off a of tight Titanic, right? Um, but he just like, didn't have the right vibe for it. Um, and there's also like a documentary about, uh, like the club life at the time. And so there's all these people who were in that scene talking about what it was like. It was pretty, pretty interesting. Um, yeah. And then, uh, I watched a bunch of TV series. So first of which being a Watchmen, uh, HBO's Watchmen, like Best Buy had the Steelbook Blu-ray for $24.99. So I capitalized on that and, uh, yeah, there's, I think it's like 10 episodes, maybe 12. Um, and I'd say for like all 11 of them, I was like, where is this story going? Uh, what I'm watching is fascinating, but like, I don't know what the point, like, what are they building toward? Um, like each episode kind of have it, has its own like encapsulated story, uh, even though it's part of this b- bigger picture. And it's like also half of a story because like everything that's happening kind of in the main storyline is uh, paired with uh, Jeremy Irons, character um, in this like fantasy land 
Um, and eventually you find out like why that is and who he is. And I can't, it's also a show you can't talk too much about because like every episode is a a spoiler. Um, So it's definitely really cool. Uh, Special effects are pretty, uh, pretty great. And like, there's just tons of mystery to it. So it's it's definitely uh, a a good watch. Um, What I liked even more that I saw was uh, Ryan let me, lent me the DVD of the first season of Harley Quinn. Uh, Oh yeah. The mature uh, Harley Quinn cartoon. And wow. Like I expected it to be absurd and and, and funny, but it's also like a really psychological and intelligent. Like Um, the, uh, you know, the first episode when you're put right in with Joker and Harley and how horrible he is to her. Yeah. And you know, that comes back, I don't know, maybe seven, eight episodes later where she, you know, she's going to take him back and, oh, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like very slyly. The whole season is about like deprogramming this girl from like her toxic relationship. Um, like as she just finds her confidence in herself and her ability to like, uh, you know, be a solo act. Um, and, uh, like there, uh, the, the teammates she uh, picks up along the way, like King Shark, like <laughs> like no one's just a straight villain. Like my favorite, the character is probably Bane because oh, yeah. like he's a tough guy, but he he's kind well, of like an my ad- chair. <laughs> yeah, his whole personality. He's kind of like an like an office administrator. <laughs> um, he's just kind of he cl- complains about mundane things, like and tries to like act tough, but he's got like the Tom Hardy voice. Um, and you know, he's like getting coffee for the Joker. Um, it's just really funny to like watch that character just kind of be like infantilized. Um, and like Batman's in this show, um, and he has his own like relationship problems with uh, uh, Commissioner Gordon, who's yeah. like so strung out. Um, <laughs> but he's also like Commissioner Gordon sees Batman as like his best bud, and mm-hmm. Batman doesn't really see that or he, like, he doesn't acknowledge it as much as he should. So there's even like a whole episode of um, like teaching Batman to like respect Gordon more um, and like getting Gordon to not be so clingy. Yeah. There's um, a really funny Easter egg in season two. Uh, Gordon has his shirt off and he has a tattoo of the little clay face hand. It says never forget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that episode. Yeah. I, I love too that Robin it sounds like a little brat, like he yeah. sounds like a little kid, and Harley doesn't want him to be her like arch enemy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great stuff. I, I can't wait to watch season two. Um, and then the last thing I saw was uh, the Umbrella Academy. Uh, season two is on Netflix, uh, and it's kind of the same storyline as season one, um, and hits a lot of the same beats. Uh, uh, like they're they're stopping the apocalypse again, but this time from like early 1960s Dallas. Um, And a lot of it is just trying to uh, track you. Like when they jump back in time from the first season, they don't go together. They kind of like each drop in in different years in the sixties. And so some of the characters experience like completely like years of their life, life differently than others. Uh, And like some have been in Dallas longer than others. Um, and, uh, I wouldn't, I, I, I didn't think the whole storyline was as interesting as the first season because it's really just like finding each other, um, being more 
like gelling more as a as a family unit um and solving like the mystery of like why they cause the new apocalypse like you know it's just like the snake eating its own tail is like is what we're doing going to trigger what we're trying to stop you know um so but overall i, I thought it was still it kind of i just hope they do more different in the third season like don't none of the seasons are trying to stop the apocalypse and uh you know exploring like get, being depressed characters i guess i don't know how to describe it but um yeah that's why i watched this week well can you give me like five minutes so i can put kellen's pajamas on and stuff yeah do it while, while you're talking about your movies uh, no because i'll give me like two minutes talk amongst yourself hey what's your favorite film from 1942 well, my favorite film from 1942 is hands down Casablanca. Although you could also make an argument for to be or not to be. They're both among the top five films ever made in the history of forever. Uh, um, you know what? I actually have to go. Um, no, my wait, chichilla wait. is chittering. So just keep talking about the 40s, Zach. Oh, oh, you know, so Jack Benny was uh, one of the greatest stars of the 40s. And uh, he managed to innovate comedy in a way that nobody else could ever perceive. And Brad, Brad, where are you going? Brad, Brad, Brad! No, no. Well, anyway, I'll keep talking about the four. Anyway, so in 1942, America had just entered World War II. And we were all in a tizzy trying to figure out how we were going to defeat the Nazis. And then one day, one day, a movie came out that taught us to spit in the face of our oppressing our army of Germany, known as to be or not to be. It's that in the face of Nazis, because why not? Nazis need to be made fun of. And anyway, it turned out to be one of the smartest comedies ever made, but nobody saw it, just like nobody is listening to me right now. Um, this is all so sad. Um, while everybody is gone, I'll actually talk about some serious news that just happened. Um, oh my gosh, shut up, Zach. Actually, yeah, hey, this is interesting. Two men have just been indicted for the 2002 murder of Jam Master Jay of Run DMC. Uh, it turns out that some people that were actually um, initially suspected of the killing may have actually been involved. Uh, the two have been indicted and are awaiting arraignment. Um, and uh, one of them is currently being held in a New York correctional facility anyway. Uh, so, yeah, that's interesting. I'd like them to um, put that murder uh, case to rest. Um, and um, hopefully some justice is found for dear old Jam Master Jay, who passed away. Um, not passed away. He was murdered. Uh, but anyway. Uh, so, yeah. Corinne, what have you been up to? I don't want to talk about the 40s right now. It's not fun when nobody's listening to me and barely tolerating it. <laughs> well, you just heard what I've been up to. I've literally just been watching a bunch of anime. Oh, oh, look, Brad's back. Now, in 1942, Casablanca was released. Um, and naturally, as it was released, there was an actual conference in Casablanca with Winston Churchill and Fre Franklin Delano Roosevelt basically proclaiming the freedom of that particular territory from Nazi oppression. And then the movie went on to win three Academy Awards and then was parodied on the Jack Benny program. Which did I mention Jack Benny was in a great 1942 movie called To Be or Not To Be? And Brad, what are you doing? What are you doing? No! 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 Casablanca is like one of the best movies ever. It is. It's the second greatest movie ever made. Um, and it will, and you know it, what's amazing about the film is is that they didn't have everything pre-planned. Uh, the script was being rewritten up to the last minute. Uh, Julius Epstein and his brother um, and his brother were trying to figure out the ending. 
and they couldn't decide until they figured out the line. Round up the usual suspects. Brad, no, no, don't sit that into your eye, no. Um, but anyway, and then, and then here's where it gets tricky. Um, they wanted to reshoot a lot of that ending uh, because, as you know, that ending didn't originally they didn't want to have ilsa go off with victor they, they wanted her to stay with bogey but unfortunately it was too late for them to reshoot the ending because <laughs> she had already changed her hairstyle and paul henry had already gone back to his ranch <laughs> for brad no no heroin is bad for you no you know, what, um, Rick, you know what we should do to make sure that we keep brad's interest is we should discuss <laughs> which of the teenage mutant ninja turtles we would cast as the main characters in Casablanca. Well, Raphael like, would clearly be Rick Blaine. Victor, like, I don't know. Raphael would clearly be Rick Blaine. Um, I think Michelangelo would be a combination of Ugati, um, Ferrari, and Sam. I think he would just play all those roles. Okay, I'm back to talk about what I watched this week. Um, <laughs> Raph is Bogart. Watch the movie. That's what I said. <laughs> Raph is Rick Blaine. Rick Blaine is Bogart's part. Thank you, America. Um, so uh, this week I watched season two of Harley Quinn. Um, it's brilliant. Uh, this one deals with the fallout of the final episode of the first season, which I won't spoil for people because a lot of stuff happens. Um, but there is a great Mr. Freeze episode who's voiced by Alfred Molina, also known as Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man 2. Um, and he has the same story arc where he's trying to save his wife and they kind of have, it's really funny until the very end. And then it's like, it's a lot like the, the TV show, Harley Quinn. If you watch it, it's funny. And then there's these really poignant moments that kind of take you by surprise. Um, it's funny because there's a hole that's drilled in the ice slab of Nora freeze, like that goes right into her mouth. And, <laughs> There's this dinner scene where he's pouring soup into her open mouth and Harley jumps up and is like, this sick motherfucker is fucking that every night. It's really funny. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I will say there's this part where Harley doesn't believe that she has a blood like disease. So she unfreezes Nora. And the first thing Nora says is, Oh, Victor, you found a cure for this disease. That's going to kill me. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um, so then they have to save uh, work to save Nora Freeze. It's really great. Um, and then it's really heartbreaking. You should watch it. Um, it's a great show. Um, I thought I talked about Curse of the Werewolf, but I guess I didn't. Um, I wasn't going to get the Scream Factory Collector's Edition of Curse of the Werewolf until um, I, I've read reviews about how great this werewolf movie was from 1961. Um, it stars Oliver Reed, who was in Gladiator. We talked about Gladiator last week on um, Film Explosion 2000. We did. And uh, so he stars as a guy named Leon, and he is cursed with being a werewolf. Uh, the, the setup for how he's a werewolf is a little bizarre and um, very, I don't know. It, it, his mother is a mute uh, servant girl for a count in Spain, and then she's raped by some beggar and who looks like like a monster and so he's cursed with a being a werewolf um it is uh it's actually really good it it delves a lot into where you come from and who you are and it uh the the werewolf attack really doesn't happen till the very last maybe 20 30 minutes and it's actually pretty violent for a film that came out in 1961 
Um, the werewolf transformation is pretty impressive. The makeup looks really great. Uh, it's a really well-made horror film. Um, it starts a little slow, but it's okay. I don't mind horror films if they start slow, if they spend time with the characters. And uh, The Curse of the Werewolf definitely lets the characters breathe. Um, and so I, I recommend, if you're a fan of hammer horror and you like gothic horror films, this one is a great one because, like I said, it deals with... Um, Sorry. Uh, it deals with the trauma of being cursed with something that you had no part of and the toll it takes on you, uh, like a lot of werewolf films where they're, you know, you're killing somebody and you really don't want to, I, you know, I'd always love to see the other side of it. You know, werewolf that loves being a werewolf. Um, there's not too many of those Eagle. films. <laughs> yeah. But that's like, you know, cause he's good at basketball. Um, I'm talking about Ryan. Have you seen the Twilight series? Yeah, it's garbage. Those aren't werewolves. Those are pretty boys that turn into wolves. <laughs> I mean, didn't they address it in the fourth one where they say that they're not actual werewolves? They call yeah. Them I mean, or whatever. But I don't remember. All I remember is we saw the fourth film, and we never saw the other three. So that week, I watched all three films leading up to the fourth. And it was the worst week of movie watching I've ever had in my life. Um, I did like Billy Burke as the dad in it a lot. And uh, I don't know if, remember if it's the third or fourth one where uh, Werewolf Boy, I don't even remember his name, walks up, think, walks up to him without a shirt on. And he says, do you ever wear a shirt? And I thought that was really funny. Um, Probably the fourth one. I, like I said, I don't remember because they're all garbage. So none of them, I don't remember specific things from each one. I just remember in the fourth one, I actually got excited when everyone started getting killed. I said, yeah. oh shit, the stakes are for real. And then they Bob Newhearted it and they said, it's just a dream. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. The only person who got my 30, <laughs> obscure fucking reference. 30 year old joke. Um <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, but Curse of the Werewolf is great. Um, I sh- I'll probably have my Screen Factory crypt for it really soon. Um, it's a collector's edition, and there's tons of shit on it. So it took me a long time to get through it. You know, the ones that have two or three commentaries are always really rough because you have to watch the movie two or three times. I <laughs> space it out. Yeah. Um, like the the Hills Run Red, I think has five commentaries on it, and I've listened to two of them. So um, how's the makeup in this one? Oh, oh uh, the Curse of the Werewolf. Yeah, oh, it's amazing. Okay, you should definitely check it out. Oliver Reed's fantastic in it. Um, the whole everybody acting in it's really great. Um, so yeah, I would definitely check it out. Um, you might want to wait. I mean, I'm a Scream Factory fan. I think it's 26 bucks right now. I'm sure at some point it'll be on sale. Um, but always keep an eye on, um, you know, stuff for Scream Factory because they do go out of print. Um, I also watched a Western that I haven't seen in a really long time uh, called My Darling Clementine, which I got maybe a year ago um, on the uh, Barnes and Noble when they do the half off for Criterion movies. And My Darling Clementine deals with the shootout at the OK Corral, which is Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. Um, and it's a pretty great movie. Um it's not historically accurate at all. Doc Holliday in this version dies at the shootout where he really dies in Colorado a couple of years later from tuberculosis and alcohol abuse. Um, but what you get is an incredibly uh, powerful performance from Henry Fonda. Um, it's directed by John Ford, who's great. Um, and, you know, they 
they start with you know the song and everyone knows my darling clementine the song it's shot really well um you know you're not supposed to like doc holiday he's not a likable character in this um it, it's really well done um so if you if you like westerns and you like john ford and you like criterions i think you should definitely get it um they they did a remaster of it. What was really fascinating watching the film is this version, the theatrical version was heavily um, edited um, and it's not what John Ford wanted. And the criterion includes, they call it the pre-release version, which you, when you look at it, it's only six minutes longer, but the scenes are shot differently. And I don't know why I forget who the producer was. It might be Selznick. I can't remember, um, but really mess with it. And so he would cut, some edits and he would do extreme close-ups of people's faces where John Ford would pull the camera back. Um, it, it's, it's really great. And the, the criterion has uh, some really great features on it. The best is the pre-release version of the movie. Oh, but, no, it's, it's not Selznick. It's angle. Um, Cause he was over. At, this was when Ford was over at Fox where he, yeah. made, that's when he was pumping out some of his best work. I, I've never heard of the fact that the movie got butchered. I've seen the movie once, but I don't remember stories about it being butchered. So that's interesting. Yeah. If you want to borrow, it's fascinating watching the two separate and the soundtrack is different. Um, Okay. It's, it's pretty, I mean, in the theatrical form, it's still one of the, I mean, one of the best Westerns, um, but the pre-release, it's like you're watching, not technically two different movies, but you can see, um, the makings of the film that wasn't, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, if you can get it on sale, because it's one of those one criterions for some reason is always still $30 on Amazon. Um, that and uh, night of the hunter for some reason, um, but if you get it for 20 bucks on, at Barnes and Noble, it's definitely worth it. I think part of the reason Night of the Hunter is still as expensive as it is, is because it's part of a collaboration with UCLA film restoration. Mm. And like that was a, that was like a big undertaking for them. And it's a two disker that includes that whole documentary about Lawton's direction. Oh yeah, no, it's a freaking great disc. If, I think yeah. everybody should pick up that release. Watch, watch Night of the Hunter, guys. It's amazing. Yes, it really is. Um, I also watched um, the Graveyard Shift or Graveyard Shift. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> Let me try again. Stephen King's Graveyard Shift. And uh, we talked about it when it was coming out and it is what I remember. It's a story about these guys that work at a textile plant and they're in charge of cleaning up the basement that has a lot of rats, but there's also like this rat vampire that's eating people. Um, So it's kind of a monster movie. Uh, It's pretty violent. It's okay. It's, you know, it was one of a favorite of mine growing up and, you know, as you get older, you still have the charm to some of these horror films, but then you start seeing the flaws when you watch tons and tons of movies. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's still like a good midnight movie because the rats in it that are all over the basement also worship this vampire rat monster thing. (laughs) And so they'll, they'll trip people that make them fall down the stairs and then the vampire rat will eat them. Um, The acting in it is not good. Um, But yeah, I definitely think, uh, you should check it out if you like cheesy B movies. Uh, I mean, it's, it's fun. It's um, not great. If that makes any sense. Midnight, midnight movie. It's a that, midnight that, movie. That answers my question from a couple of weeks back of, should I buy this? I think I'll rent it on digital first before I, or you can, you can borrow my disc is fine. Um, okay, cool. <laughs> I, yeah. I would definitely say it's a 
rental if you're not sure if you're going to like a Monster B movie. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm usually down to dive into those headfirst regardless. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the cool thing is, is only, well, I won't spoil it, but the, the makeup of the, the creature effects are pretty great. Um, it's animatronic. Um, uh, so it looks cool. Um, the direction is okay. Um, but yeah, it's all right. Uh, it's fun. It's a fun movie. Um, and then I also watched, uh, Kellen picked super eight to watch a couple weeks ago or a week ago. Um, you know, he, Kellen always wants to watch movies with monsters or, you know, kids doing stuff. So I said, oh, here's one with kids who discover a monster. And I still love this film. It's still beautiful. Um, it's a really cool movie. And it holds up. Well, I was, I was wondering if Kellen would like it because it starts um, with, you know, the, the monster takes a little bit to get there. Um, but he was still he still liked the kids. And um, it, it's a fun movie. I I I remember loving the experience of that in an IMAX theater. Yeah, yeah no, it's a, it's a it's a it's a really great movie. It's still one of my favorites from 2012. 11 is our second episode. Oh, 2011. Um it's still one of my favorite films from 2011. Um So yeah, that's a fun movie. Actually, yeah, and the film they make at the end, like they they show the the film that they made at the end. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's, classic. It's the, it's one of the greatest zombie movies ever made. <laughs> oh yeah, it's awesome. Um, and the last thing I watched was the Hitman's Bodyguard, which I guess I liked a lot more than everybody else because on Letterboxd, I think people give it two stars. Um, but I was watching it with Laura last night. And as I was watching, I said, you know, they don't make movies very much anymore where it's two dudes on the run, killing lots of people, lots of cussing. Um, that style of filmmaking and story, they do it, enough but you know where it's just blatantly rated r and they don't make any uh issues with it it just happens i had a lot of fun watching it and i thought it was pretty funny um you know ryan reynolds and sam jackson are pretty great together uh it's just uh i I can't pinpoint you know moments in it just because there's so many quips in it uh but it's I, i like the use of this uh the music in it um you know they did little queenie uh when there's a huge fight going on, which is really fun. Um, yeah, it's, it's just fun. It's a f- action movie with cussing. I don't remember any of it. And I saw it. In the <laughs> yeah, I, know. I know. I saw you. I think you gave it two stars. I'm like, Oh, I like this a lot more than you did. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun. Sweet. Uh, and that's what I watched this week. Um, this week on real nerds podcast, we got a life. We rewatched Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Mm-hmm. Brad, should people revisit Scott Pilgrim? Uh, absolutely. Corinne, should people revisit Scott Pilgrim? Sure. <laughs> Zach, should people revisit Scott Pilgrim? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'll just make this, you know, three or four. Totally. It's a great movie and lots of fun. And there's characters in it, or actors in it, that you go, wow, they got a lot of amazing actors early in their careers. Oh, here's yeah. the, uh, what? I was saying, oh yeah, I was agreeing with you. Uh, here's the trailer for Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Hey, what's up? 
I'll leave you alone forever now. You know this one girl with hair like this? Yes, that's Ramona Flowers. She's out of your league. You know her? Tell me now. She just moved here. Got a job at Amazon. I have to order something really cool. Scott, are you waiting for the package you just ordered? Maybe. Scott Pilgrim? Hi, I was thinking about asking you out, but then I realized how stupid that would be. That's okay. You should just sign for this, all right? So do you want to go out sometime? I say yes, will you sign for your damn package? So, yeah, 8 o'clock? Come to this Battle of the Bands thing. You have a band? Yeah, we're terrible. One, two, three, four! Mr. Pilgrim! I'm Ramona's first evil ex-boyfriend. What? Wait, we're fighting over Ramona? Didn't you get my email explaining the situation? I skimmed it. Mm-mm. What was that all about? If we're gonna date, you may have to defeat my seven evil exes. So what you're saying is... we are... dating? I guess. Does that mean we can make out? Sure. Scott Pilgrim! Prepare to feel the wrath of the League of Evil Exes. Ramona dated twins. At the same time. If you want something bad, you have to fight for it. Step up your game, Scott. Combo. Break out the L word. Lesbian? The other L word. Lesbians? What are you doing? Getting a life. You want to fight me for her? Why on earth would you want to do that? Because I'm in love with her. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Maybe next time we don't date the girl with 11 evil ex-boyfriends. Okay. Oh, that's not that bad. Uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world is a story about a young Canadian man who falls in love with a Amazon delivery lady named Ramona flowers. And by doing this, he learns that he has to battle her seven evil exes and each fight in it is different. Uh, it's plays like a video game, comic book uh, movie. Visually it's amazing. Um, yeah. yeah. Every time I watch the movie, I, I've watched it a few weeks ago and I watched it again, preparing for this episode it's a movie I can always watch. There's always something cool happening. It's funny. Um, you know, and it, n- nothing in the world should make sense, but it, everything makes sense. You know what I mean? There's, there's the, one of my most favorite moments, and it feels like a movie I would make, uh, where there's a part where Scott comes into his apartment and immediately goes to Seinfeld sitcom moment where there's laugh tracks <laughs> and the jokes are really stupid. And... Um, it's you know i I love uh you should cut your hair and he puts his hat on again and then it goes scott is well aware the last time he cut his hair was so many days ago (laughs) i i I fucking love this movie oh god it was it was interesting rewind so i my when when at the time that this came out we only had Shaun of the Dead hot buzz in this for edgar wright well i guess the the don't trailer but that's not a movie um and um, yeah, and uh, so like it when this came out, I, I went back to this so many times in the theaters, and I was I was convinced I'm like, well, this is clearly Edgar Wright's best movie. He's made the best movie. And then he, you know, obviously he's gone down the line and made World's End and 
baby driver. So I don't, I'm still trying to figure out where I place this, place this in a ranking. Cause, but like, it still packs a punch. And I was, I was worried rewatching it last night. Cause I haven't watched it in a couple of years of how Scott Pilgrim as a character would feel all these years later. Cause he's not, he's not a great person <laughs> throughout the movie. He has to learn how to be a better person in the, throughout the course of this film, whether it's the power of love or power of self-respect. But it holds well as a different like commentary on formulas of romantic films, but also just the world they set it in. Like they, he, Edgar Wright found a way to externalize the different drama and vast emotions of this fight movie, which is really fantastic. Um, and I don't think there's a bad performance in the movie. Like rarely do you see a movie where there's not like one performer you can like single out as like a, a weak link. Like I don't, I can't find a single weak link in the performances in this film. Like I forgot Brandon Ralph was in this movie. He's great as the vegan. Um, uh, he's and, not uh, vegan. Yeah, no vegan diet, no vegan powers. Um, and uh, Kieran Culkin, I don't know what happened to him, but I, I think he should have gotten more after playing uh, Wallace because that's a great side character in that movie. <laughs> like, I love the moment when he, um, Scott's sleeping and um, Wallace uh, comes into the apartment and goes, guess who's drunk? My guess is Wallace. You guess right. <laughs> and he just hits it with his keys. Um, but uh, it, it's, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's and it's beautifully directed. Like I guess Edgar, I, I read in the behind the scenes that Edgar Wright doesn't like to do second unit. He have second unit. He likes to be supervising every angle of it. So that's part of the reason why this movie took as long as it did to make. Um, but uh, it, it it paid off in stride because every angle and frame of this film has a has a control and mastery behind it that only he's capable of pulling off. It's funny you say that. I read a whole article, uh, Entertainment Weekly, about uh, the making of it and the 10th anniversary. And uh, Edgar Wright had every single shot planned. And it was down to, uh, Michael Sarah said, he had it down to on dialogue where you would turn your head at a certain word. Um, and he had it that planned out. And I knew he did that. If you watch the special features for Shaun of the Dead, he actually has an easel where he writes out the whole movie and how it's going to play out. Um, and you can tell, he, I mean, it's really well thought out. Um, everything is, has a purpose and it, it's a really great retrospective. If you have opportunity, go to entertainmentweekly.com and, and read it. It's a, it's a pretty lengthy article and it's a, interviews with Michael Sarah, Edgar Wright, and uh, a lot of the, and, and Chris Evans and a lot of the big stars of it on how hard they worked. And it shows, I mean, the movie's incredibly entertaining um, this, it, this, look, this is an example of how long it's been since I've watched the movie since I last watched the movie we've had Chris Evans become Captain America and like that's the image we have of him now <laughs> when I rewatched it I was just laughing my butt off at ev every line Chris Evans has in this movie is fucking hysterical like and it he's only in it for a little bit but man like it, ah god he's great when he's an asshole too <laughs> and this is a movie too that I, I I got a huge crush on Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Uh, you know, a lot of people will say maybe uh, Die Hard or something, but this one is the one where I was like, oh yeah, I can see why he likes this girl. Yeah, and um, uh, Ellen Wong as Knives, like that's still a pretty damn great performance. Oh, that's a great character. Like, that's, I. She, the the one thing that I remember from the graphic novel that like I'm glad they got it in the film is like. 
when he's saying that when they got their first gig and she jumps in and goes, Oh my gosh, when? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Good stuff. Yeah. It's wonderful. Corinne, what, what do you think of Scott Pilgrim? Uh, well, I actually didn't get around to rewatching it. Uh, sorry, ran out of time. But if Brad is okay with it, we can replay when I recorded it for Catching the Classics last year. Hey, nerds. Corinne here for part 25 of Catching the Classics, where I watch famous and popular movies I've never seen before and send in my review. This week, all of you voted for me to watch Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. And uh, I had some problems with it, but overall, I, I liked it. Um, going into the movie, I knew the basic premise of like how Scott, played by Michael Sarah, has to fight all of you know this um, prospective girlfriend's evil exes, and knew some of the cast members. Like I knew Chris Evans was in it. And, oh my gosh, I loved his character. <laughs> I liked how, like, weirdly meta and self-aware it was. Um, I don't really like Michael Sarah as an actor. I feel like he gets typecast as this kind of milk toast sort of character a lot of the time. Um, he did pretty good, though. I think that it was kind of fitting here. Um, everybody else did a great job. I, I think... The thing about this movie that I really, really enjoyed was the action and the style of it. You know, just like all the different like comic book components that would pop up and video game references and things like that. It's a very stylized movie and um, has a lot of those Edgar Wright like quick cuts and weird transitions and it works out really well and I think it keeps it moving pretty good for the first 20, 25 minutes. I think it kind of slows down a little bit right before the first evil X pops up. And other than that, um, I guess the worst thing I can say about the movie is I didn't really like how it treated its female characters and how it framed them within the narrative of, or like from the male character's perspective. And that's an entire rant I could go on, so I will spare you. Um, I will say that I was really not feeling how, like, I was not really appreciating how these characters were framed and treated. And then the kind of twist happens in the climax, and I was like, oh, that makes it better. It's still not perfect, but it makes it better. And so I appreciated that, that it was more about Scott realizing that he has to fight for himself and not for Ramona, that she's some kind of prize to be won, which, if, like I said, it's an entire rant I could go on, but I won't. Um, yeah. Don't really have much to say other than that, surprisingly. Um, it's, it, it was, it was a good movie. It was worth watching, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't own it. I'd probably watch it again, maybe in a couple years, but I wasn't like Goo Goo Gaga for it. And, but yeah, I liked it. I I still think I like the... Oh crap, now I can't think of the zombie movie. Shaun of the Dead. I like Shaun of the Dead of the Edgar Wright films the best. And then I'd say I'd put this one above Baby Driver and Hot Fuzz. So I guess this is like the second best of the Edgar Wright films I've seen. I don't know. I haven't seen Hot Fuzz in a while, so... Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, it's just the performance is and the pacing, and it's just kind of this weird concept. And I guess uh, one thing that kind of bugged me was, like, how casual they all were about, like, probably murdering people. Like, I think 20-some people die in this movie, and it's like, nobody cares or mentions it, really. It's very bizarre. So anyway, um, there's that, and uh, yeah, I, I think I, I, I'll give it three and a half, mm, four stars, I guess, if we're doing the full star system. But yeah, three and a half for four stars, which I, I think is pretty fair. So yeah, like I said, not a lot to say on it. Uh, of like a, So yeah. Um, next time, I will be watching Top Hat, the movie with... Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Yeah, we're taking it way back th this next time. So, hope you all had fun at It this weekend. And I will... I think that's the movie you were all gonna see. Yeah, It, Chapter 2, whatever. Um, hope you all had fun at that, and I will talk to you all next time. Bye! <laughs> Find it, Brad. Thanks for no, yeah, giving me the work of finding that. No, I have it on file. I can send it to you. Okay. Cool. Brad, did you want to chime in on anything with Scott Pilgrim? He seems yeah. nice. Huh? <laughs> My Chris Evans. Oh. Yeah, no, it's, it's like one of the most dynamic movies I've ever seen. Uh, you know, it, it takes off, like, right from the get-go, you've got the 8-bit the version of the Universal logo, and then after that, it's just, like, full speed ahead, never stops, never slows down. Um, every frame is just filled with the story and then stuff going on in the background that's interesting too. Um, it's funny. Um, yeah, there's just so much energy in the movie. Um, it's, 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 it's impressive. Like it's one of those movies that's almost two hours long, but it seems really fast. Yeah. Um, it's just so, it's so dense. Like one of my favorite gags is, um, like, uh, uh, Wallace answers the door and, Scott's trying to like avoid who's ever. I think it's uh, uh, knives at the door, and he like the camera's shifting. Like it's just this little sliver of like what you can see through the door, and the camera's moving left and right just a little bit, and you can see like Zach or um, uh, Scott's like zipping around in the background. And finally, he just jumps through the side window, yes. uh, even though like technically <laughs> there's just a dirt hill because yeah. <laughs> it's an underground apartment. Um, yeah. It, like there's just so much detail, like meticulousness to like moving the camera and telling the story, and then all like the uh, like animation overlays and uh, references to video games. Yeah, it's just it's so impressive. Like it's a shame I only ever got to watch it one time um, when it first came out in the theater. Um, they had a midnight of it uh, recently, so I got to see it like on the big screen again, but. Um, yeah, when it first came out, like I, I did not help it because <laughs> um, as great as it is, uh, people did not notice right away, unfortunately. Yeah, no, it's er everything works in the movie, and it's it's the thing I love most about Edgar Wright films is they're fun. You know, I, I think sometimes that's missing a lot in movies where it has to be dour or down all the time. Um, Edgar Wright just makes fun movies. Yeah, there's. 
it, it never stops. Like there's just something go, going on at all times in the foreground and background of this movie. Um, it's, it's just so impressive. Like there's just so much planning and like keeping yeah. things moving. It's yeah. I'd argue it's, but it's easily the best one of uh, amongst, if not the best directed film on a technical scale of 2010. Oh yeah. Because how much you have to accomplish to pull what he's wanting to pull off. Um, the, uh, the amount of background details Brad was alluding to, and also just the way everybody's positioned, like it doesn't feel unnatural considering that they're capturing this kind of video game aesthetic. Like every movement of the actors feels natural to the world they've set up. Like you alluded to it earlier, Ryan, like there's, there's things in the, in the world that shouldn't work, but I think you're hooked in based on his visual scheme. You are just hooked into it and will believe anything going forward. Mm. Like, I don't think you can like, there's not a moment of disbelief in the movie either. And like something that's amazing about it. I've no, I, I noticed that the first time I ever saw it and I've, it's always stuck with me is because of the graphic novel that he's adapting and the, the world of like media references that he's able to pull off with video games, comics, et cetera he's able to tell a love story with visual schemes that you would otherwise have to do in like a romantic drama. That's like an ethereal thing by like Del Toro or, um, or Gilliam. Whereas he's able to just pull this off. Like I love the final shot of the movie after they go through the door, camera pans up and it goes back to that continue five, five, four, three, two. Like it's, it's a beautiful piece of the storytelling to end the movie. Like it's, there's not a frame in this film that isn't like a stroke of a master painter. Yep. It's good stuff. Yep. You should see it next week on real nerds. It's a return to the movie theaters with the Russell Crowe action thriller unhinged. Yeah. Or as Brad's now calling it Maximus overdrive. Um, So it'll be exciting to (laughs) see a movie on the big screen again. Um, Thanks for sticking with us through this nerdemic and i hope we entertained you during the time we may go back there's no guarantee this is a sustained return so it will be positive positive it'll be sustained so says me um yeah thanks for listening and next week we'll see you at the movies bye bye Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day.